Go ahead and take your seat. If you would, give it up one more time for our worship team. Holding it down acoustic style. You can see that we have the drum set up. We were expecting our drummer to come, but he didn't show up. So we had to figure out, well, what do we do? Well, we move on. And I just say that, too, because if any of you play drums um, and you are interested in being part of our worship team, we'd love to talk to you. Or if you play any instrument, guitar, electric guitar, bass, cowbell, triangle, any of that, man, we'd love to have you join our worship team. If you can sing, too, that'd be great. But, but maybe you hear all that. It be, because here's the deal. We're, we're a brand new church. We started back in March. We're not even a year old yet. And when you use your gifts, when you step out to serve, we get better as a church. And, and maybe you don't have any musical abilities, any musical talent. Maybe you can't sing. If you can't sing, we don't want you on our worship team, all right? You don't want me on the worship team because everybody has to listen to you sing. And so we don't want to put people through that. But maybe you say, I don't have any musical ability. I can't sing or anything like that. But you are good with kids. You are good with people. You're good with admin and planning. You're, you're good with uh, lifting things up and putting them down. We set up and tear down week in and week out. And here's the deal. I just want to let you know, as real as I can, if you're not currently serving in our church, our church is suffering because we're missing out on the gift that is you. God has given you gifts, abilities, and talents to use to make a difference in the lives of other people. And if you're currently not serving, we cannot be all that God has called us to be because we're missing out on you. So I want to invite you today to sign up to play drums. I want to invite you to, if you can, I want to invite you today, if you're not currently serving, man, because as a brand new church, the way we get better is when we all are part of this. And so help us get better by joining a team and using the gifts God has given you, because you are a gift to humanity, and we don't want you to hide that gift. So if you're not currently serving, I want to invite you to sign up. But man, um, let me tell you, I, as, I, as I think about my preaching, uh, I often challenge people. I'm an I'm a eight on the Enneagram, an eight wing seven, and so as an eight wing seven, I'm a challenger. Uh, and so I'm constantly pushing people to expand, to explore, to do something they've never done before. Uh, and this is just kind of how my life is. Like I'm constantly pushing myself to expand and explore and do something I've never done before. And, and, and part of the, the exploration and to something new is a shift in perspective. Is, is that we got to shift the way that we see things. And I often preach on perspective and shifting the way that we see things. And so if you've been part of our church for any amount of time, you've probably seen this theme of shifting our perspective sprinkled throughout my sermons. And the reason why I talk so much about perspective and shifting that is because I believe that the way we see things will determine how we live. How we see things determines how we live. And so... Uh, when we see something, we can uh, get focused on uh, the obstacle that's in front of us. We can see it as, as an obstacle, or we could see it as an opportunity, and that'll shift our outlook on life. It's all about how you see things. We can uh, focus on the disappointment, or we can see that disappointment as an opportunity for development, and that'll change our destination that we're headed towards. It's all about how we see things. We can get focused on the frustration, or we can focus on, uh, God, on, on the faithfulness of God. And when we do that, that will transform our forward motion. See, it's all about how we see things. And so two different people can see the exact same thing. One can get depressed, the other can get determined. And it'll lead to different outcomes. Are you with me? It's all about our perspective and how we see things. And 
My belief is that if we can begin to see things the way God sees things, we'll begin to live the life God has called us to instead of settling for less than God's best for us. And so what I want to do today as we come to the conclusion of our series next week of Circle Makers, uh, where next week we're going to bring an end-of-year offering to God, where we're exercising generosity. We're saying, God, I'm so grateful for everything you've done in my life, and because of that, I want to bring an offering over and above the tithe. Now, some of you can't bring this offering next week. Because you haven't begun tithing yet. And so your first step would be, God, I'm going to begin to trust you with the tithe, the first 10% of the income that you've given to me. Because everything I have comes from you in the first place. And I just want to remind myself of that by returning the first 10% back to you. So for some of you, this end of your offering is actually one where you make a commitment to begin tithing. And, and, and by the way, last week we had blue envelopes that were set out on people's chairs, and if you didn't get one of those envelopes or you lost it or anything, we have some more at the back as you, as you leave. You can pick up one of those envelopes. This is our Circle Makers offering envelope, and on it we're going to ask you to make a commitment to, to, to tell us what you're praying for so that we can be praying for that with you. And then next week, we're gonna bring our offering up here to the stage in those envelopes, and we're gonna set it down as an offering to God, saying, God, thank you so much for all that you've done in my life. I know everything comes from you, and I'm grateful because of that. And so that's where this is headed to our end of your offering next week. Also, in your seats, you have an ornament uh, that was placed there, and there's also a marker there. It's in the shape of a circle. We're in the series, Circle Makers. Here's what I want to invite you to do. You can do it right now. You can do it later. Maybe you need some time to think about it. I want to invite you to take that ornament and write the thing that you're praying for, the thing that you're desperate for, the thing that you need from God. And so maybe the thing that you're praying for, you're making circles around saying, God, this is what I need in my life. Maybe what you need is peace. And so you just write peace there. Maybe it's courage. Maybe it's a financial breakthrough. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've been praying for a long time to have a baby. And so, and so you write that there. Whatever it is that you're praying for, maybe it's a healed marriage, but whatever it is, we want to invite you to write that on that ornament. You're making a circle around that. And then you can put that ornament on your tree this season so that you can see it day in and day out and be a reminder for you to be praying about this thing, making a circle around it. And then, here's a great thing. You get to next year, put that on your tree. And you'll be able to look back and say, man, I remember when I was praying for that and it was an answer to prayer and God came through. Or maybe you don't see the answer yet and you say, okay, I'm going to keep praying for this. I'm going to keep making a circle around it because being a circle maker where we make circles around something, we're praying for something, we're desperate for something, we're chasing after something, it doesn't always happen the week after. Sometimes it takes some time. Sometimes it's a journey. Sometimes it's a long season. But this ornament is going to be a reminder for you to keep making circles around the, around the thing that you're pursuing God for. And next week, we're going to bring that offering saying, God, here's what I'm believing for. And because I'm grateful, because I'm believing that it's mine already, I'm just bringing this offering just as uh, a way to show gratitude, to say thank you for all that you've done in my life, the faithfulness that you've shown, and the faithfulness you will show moving forward. And so as we come to this conclusion uh, of our series next week, I want to take some time today just to help us get a different perspective around our money and around our finances. Um, uh, I was talking with somebody this week. It it was Jeremy, actually. Um, uh, He's part of our church. He's on our guide team. And he said, you know, uh, it is so true that we care about our money. Because if we didn't care about our money, we'd be able to talk about money in church and people wouldn't get offended. 
people wouldn't squirm, right? But we squirm. Sometimes we feel, oh, I don't really know about it. When we talk about money in church, because we care so much about our money. And we talk about money because we know that's what we care about. And what we want to do is we want to talk about the things that you care about um, and, and, and bringing the thing that you care about to the place that you say you care about, God's house. As we talk about tithing and bringing an offering, the reason why we do this, one of the reasons, is because when you bring the thing that you care about to the thing you say you care about, you'll begin to care about the thing you say you care about even more. Did I lose you on that? I hope not. When we return the tithe, when we bring an offering, when we bring it back to God's house, because our, our heart is connected to our money, we begin to care about the thing that our money is in. And so as you give, as you tithe, as you give back to God, you begin to care more about what's going on here, and then your perspective shifts from an earthly focus to a heavenly focus. You start to become more about the things of God. You start to think more about not building my own kingdom, but how do I build God's kingdom? And so, and so I just want to take a few minutes today to, to help shift our perspective when it comes to money. See, there's, there's several different ways that we can see money and finances and everything that we have. And, and one of the ways that we can see money is that it's a fixed pie, that there's only so much to go around. And, and because there's only so much to go around, then I have to get what I have and I gotta hold on to it. I gotta have clenched fists. There's only so much to go around. And so I gotta work hard, I gotta save, I gotta do everything I can to keep what I have in my possession. And, and I'd love to give. I, I, I'd love to be generous, but I can't because if I give, then that's less for me. And so I gotta hold on to it. And we end up living with clenched fists. And when we have a fixed pie perspective, there's only so much to go around. I got to get what I can and I got to hold on to it. When we live this way, we embrace greed and we become stingy. Now, none of us live this way, okay? It's other people, it's the people out there, the pe people you know, right? Your coworkers live this way. But none of us live this way, right? I mean, all of us are, are budgeting and, and saving and, 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 and we're not in debt and we're returning the tithe back to God and we're, and we're bringing an offering to God. So none of us live this way, but those people out there, right? They live that way, right? So when we live with clenched fists, we invite greed to take over. It becomes stingy. And when we live with clenched fists, we start to think there's only so much to go around and I can only give so much. And so we may show up to church and we say, you know what? I'm, okay, all right, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let a 20 slip out. I'm going to drop a 20 in the black box because I know the church really needs my help. And so I'm going to help out the church. I'm going to do something good for the church. And so I'll give a 20. And here's the deal, James, you're not that great of a preacher, so you should be lucky I give anything, right? And, 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 so, and so if we live with clenched fists, this is, this is our mindset. This is a way to view money. Another way to view money and finances, it's just all about your perspective. We're all looking at the same thing. It's just how do you view it? Another way to look at it is that the world is governed by a good God who longs to give good gifts to his children. And so God longs to pour out good to his kids. And as his kids, we understand that the earth is the Lord's and everything thereof. And so none of it belongs to us. All of it comes from him. And because of that, I want to live with open hands so that I can receive what God wants to bring my way. And there's more where that came from. 
And so there's not, all, there's not so much to go around, but God is constantly giving good gifts. And so I want to live with open hands so I can receive what God wants to give me. And as I live with open hands, it also means that I'm generous. It also means that I'm giving. And so as I'm generous and I'm giving, what I do in living with open hands is I make more room to receive what God wants to give me. See, if I live with clenched fists, I can't receive anything. There's no way for you to get anything in there. And it's all on me. It's all up to me. When I live with open hands, I can receive. And I can make room because I'm giving. And so the question when it comes to money and finances really is, is how do you view the world? Is there only so much to go around? Then grab hold of whatever you can. Hold on to it with clenched fists. But is the world governed by a good God who longs to give more, who longs to pour out blessing? How do you view the world? Because how you view the world will determine how you live. If you live with open hands, giving isn't a question. It's like, of course I'm going to give. You show up, and it's not a debate that you have week in and week out. Am I going to give something or am I not? Of course I am, because this is how I view the world. If you live with clenched fists, now it becomes a debate. It becomes an option. What do I do? Oh. And we forget where it all came from in the first place. So as we approach this end of your offering, my hope is that you would shift your perspective to one where you see that the world is governed by a good God who longs to give good to his kids, and that's you. And, and to help us with this, I want to uh, take our attention back to this moment that took place back in 57 AD, uh, and, and we read about it in the letter of 2 Corinthians. And so... Um, there's this guy named Paul who starts churches all over the Roman world, and um, uh, as he's starting these churches, he stays in contact with them by writing letters to them. And so Paul writes, uh, I think, 14 of the 27 books that we have in the New Testament, and he travels around the Roman world. He's starting churches, and one of the churches that he establishes is a church in Corinth. And so he starts this church, and, and then he moves on, and he writes some letters, and they ask some questions about things, and he, and he writes back, he gives them some answers, and, and, and we have copies of those letters in the New Testament of the Scriptures. It's First and Second Corinthians. And so, so we're going to read from there to see how Paul talks to them about their perspective on money. But before we read from that, I just want to give you the title for my sermon. So if you're taking notes, which I, I, I'm confident you're taking notes on this, um, go ahead and take out your notes app uh, on your phone and, and type this in. This is the sermon, uh, the, the title for my sermon. It's a cycle that comes full circle. Somebody say, it's a cycle that comes full circle. All right, now I need you to say it with a little more oomph and gust. So it's a cycle that comes full circle. And that's what we're going to find Paul teaching the Corinthian church. And Paul, I believe, is going to teach us through what we're about to read. It's a cycle that comes full circle. All right. Like I said, I know you're taking notes because I worked really hard on this sermon. And uh, you want to remember it for all that you're worth. So um, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and around the time that Paul writes to them, he, um, he, he writes them a, a letter in about 55 AD, it's 1 Corinthians, and he's letting them know about this, uh, this famine that's taking place in the church of Jerusalem. So the church of Jerusalem is, is really where Christianity all began. It started in the city of Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. And in 55 AD, they experienced this famine. There's, there's some hardships going on in the church of Jerusalem. So what Paul does 
is he writes all these other churches that he started, and he says, hey, uh, they're experiencing some hard times, so I'm going to collect an offering to help them. And so he explains to them uh, all the stuff that is, is going to be, um, like, j- just the stuff that's going on, and then how he's going to go about collecting this offering. And he says this, now about the collection for the Lord's people, 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So, so Paul right here is just making preparations with the church in Corinth. He, he's letting them know, hey, um, we're going to take up this offering. We're going to collect this offering. You're going to give this offering that's going to go to the Jerusalem church. And uh, what I want you to do is determine an amount that you're going to give and then just set it aside so that when I come, we don't have to make any collections. It's already there, right? So what he's doing is he's giving them advance notice. Somebody said they knew. They knew. They knew, right. So they knew that this is happening. He's letting them know I'm a, I'm, I'm, we're, we're doing this offering. They already knew. And then some time passes. See, the the church in Corinth, when they first hear about the offering, they get excited about it. They're like, oh, yeah, we want to help. And then they they make these big claims. We want to give this. We want to help. We're going to do this stuff. And then a couple years pass between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and they drop some balls. Somebody say, fumble. Yeah, that's what they did. They fumbled it. They got excited. We're going to give to this. We can't wait. Paul gives them instructions, set aside what you're going to give week in and week out. So when we come, the collection is just right there. But 2 Corinthians rolls around, and they didn't do what he said. He didn't catch them off guard with this offering. They already knew. And and they went at first from living with open hands. Oh, we're excited. We can't wait to give. When we read in 2 Corinthians a couple years later, they they start to close up their fists. Like, ah, we don't know about that. And I want to show you what Paul writes to them. In 2 Corinthians, as they, as they begin to shift their perspective around finances from, from living with open hands to, to clenched fists, he, he, here's what he said. Now, brothers and sisters, 2 Corinthians 8.1, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So Paul's about to get to this offering that uh, he, he talked to him about two years ago. He's about to address it with them, but before he does that, he tells them about the churches in Macedonia. So he references churches like uh, the church in Thessalonica, uh, in Berea, and in Philippi. And, and he said, hey, they were in the midst of a very severe trial. They were in the midst of a very severe trial. But he said they're overflowing joy. Okay, okay. So they're in the midst of a very severe trial. Most likely they're being killed for their faith. They're being persecuted for their faith. And persecution isn't, I don't like you because you're a Christian. They're being slaughtered because of their faith. Like they show up to church one week and John isn't there. And it's like, what happened to John? And it's not, oh, John went out to the lake. It's like, John is dead. Right? This is what they were experiencing. You and I, we don't have to worry about that right now. But this is what they were going through. Severe trial. And he said, in the midst of their severe trial, their overflowing joy. 
Can I just pause and point out this principle? That your joy is not determined by what you face, but it's built on your faith. Your joy is not determined by what you face. It's built on your faith. And so your circumstances, whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you're facing, doesn't determine your level of joy. You can have joy in the midst of it. In the midst of their extreme circumstances, the trials that they were facing, they had overflowing joy. And so can I just let you know, this is, this is something for you to write out. This is something for you to tweet, for you to put on Instagram, take a picture of the empty drum set and, and, and say this, that your joy is not determined by what you face, but it's built on your faith. And so whatever it is you're going through, you just need to know that joy, your joy is your job. And so you're not getting killed for your faith, but there's a coworker who you don't like. And you show up in the parking lot and you see their car and you're like, I hate that person. Hey, that doesn't determine your level of joy. Your joy is your job. You can still be joyful in the midst of that. You, you, you thought you'd have a different career by now. And so you're just kind of going through the motions. You're feeling empty and hopeless. You don't have to feel empty and hopeless. You can still have joy because your joy is your job. Whatever you're facing doesn't determine your level of joy. You thought you'd have a baby by now. Whatever it is you're facing, can I just let you know? Your joy is your job. And your joy is not determined by what you face, but it's built on your faith. So in the midst of their severe trial, they were overflowing with joy. The Macedonian churches were facing some severe trials. Again, things we haven't experienced, most of us in our life, things we can't even imagine. Um, they're being killed for their faith. And on top of that, it said that they had extreme poverty. So he references the Macedonian churches. They got extreme poverty. A better translation is this, that they were down to the depth of poverty. They, they were bottom of the barrel poverty. Like, like they had nothing. They were rock bottom poverty, but they still had overflowing joy, and it welled up in generosity. Paul said that because of their joy, they gave as much as they were able uh, what was in their means, and then he said that they gave beyond their ability. But the question I have is if they have extreme poverty, how did they give beyond their ability? Because here's what we say, I don't have, so I can't give. But can I just let you know? that if you don't give, you won't have? That's the principle God says. He says, when, when you give, I'll pour out so much blessing, you won't know what to do with it. See, we say, I don't have, so I can't give. What the Macedonian churches said was, we don't have, so we want to give as much as we can. And that's the difference between greed and generosity. Greed will always find an excuse. Generosity will always find a way. And you know that. When you got your mind set on something, you plot and scheme and figure out how you can get it. You, got, you saw some sales at Black Friday, and you started looking at the checkbook, and you were like, oh, man, I don't have the money, and I know I shouldn't go into debt, but I could pay it off. You know, we'll just go ahead and put it on the credit card or whatever it is. You, you, you're looking at that new car, and you're like, oh, man, what do I got to do to get that new car? Well, I could move this around, or I could do this, or the new phone comes out. What do I got to do to get this? Or you see that girl, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what do I got to do to get her? And then you're like plotting and scheming, how can I get her attention? See, when we want something, we'll figure out a way to make it happen. 
The question I have for you is, do you want generosity that bad? Are you figuring out? Have you been thinking through, man, all right, we got this end of your offering coming up. What can I move around? What can I give? How can I sacrifice? How can I be generous? Or have you been looking and saying, well, I don't really know. I mean, it is kind of Christmas time, and we do have some things coming on. Like I said, greed will always make an excuse. Generosity will always find a way. The, the Macedonian churches in their extreme poverty, facing all that they were, tried to figure out how do we give and not just give according to our means, but beyond that. And again, the question is, well, how, how did they do that? Here, here's how. They, it, says, it says this, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. See, our... Our scarcity is the starting point for God's sufficiency. When I run out of peace, that's when I tap into God's peace because I don't have it anymore. Dear God, I can't handle these kids anymore. I'm going to need you to. Our scarcity, see, our scarcity is the beginning point of God's sufficiency. When we don't have joy, I lost it all. God, that's when I'm relying on you. I'm needing you for this. When we run out of something now, God, I need it from you because I don't have it anymore. Instead, when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our resources, God, I'm trusting in you for everything. And that's when we see God's sufficiency poured out in our lives, when we reach a desperate place. And so God's grace had given uh, he, he said, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. They were able to give richly out of their extreme poverty because of the grace of God. Because they tapped into his sufficiency after they met their scarcity. God met, God's favor met their faith. And because of his blessing, they were able to give beyond what they even thought they could. They had a perspective that led them to live in such a way where they knew that they could live with open hands and God would take care of them. And I want you to look at the end of verse 3. Paul says uh, that these churches gave entirely on their own. Look, entirely on their own. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. What if we came to God with an attitude of entirely on our own? entirely on our own. What if we, we said, God, I don't need to be prodded. I don't need to be begged. I don't need to be motivated. I don't need, no, I'm going to show up entirely on my own and recklessly run with you. I'm going to pursue you with reckless abandon. What if a month ago I was able to stand in front of you and say, hey, on December 4th, we're going to bring an offering to God, the biggest offering we've ever brought. We're going to practice extreme generosity and that's all. And then next week it happened. And, and, and we didn't have to do a whole series to teach on it or, 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 or to inspire or to motivate. We just showed up entirely on our own and we said, we're going to live generously. What if we showed up to church entirely on our own, where we got here early, we got here with an expectant attitude, God, I know you're going to do something great, instead of dragging in five minutes late, ten minutes late, what if we showed up entirely on our own? What if during the sermon, when the preacher was getting riled up and fired up, and we were feeling it, we responded, and we said, preach it, or something like that, what if we showed up entirely on our own, so that when the worship team sings and the drummer doesn't show up, 
up. We join in clapping on beat because we become the drummer. What if when the worship team is singing, we raise our hands and we sing with record. We show up entirely on our own because, God, I'm not showing up to a service. I'm showing up to meet you and I need you. We show up with reckless abandon entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded, can we please give to this offering? Here's what's fascinating. Paul was going to leave them out of the offering. He wasn't even going to ask them to give because he knew the extreme poverty they had and the trials they were going through. Paul said no for them. It's like Paul said, I don't even want to bother you with this. So he was going to pass them over. They heard about it and entirely on their own, they said, excuse us, you better not leave us out of this offering. Don't rob us of the privilege to be able to give to this. Oh, and do you see that there? It's a privilege. They, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. The Macedonian churches showed up entirely there on their own, and they begged, please let us be a part of this. We want to do this, because it's a privilege. You don't have to give, you get to give. It's not a have to, it's a get to. As we're leading up to next week, some of you might not show up because you don't want to have to give. You don't have to give anything. You get to give. What an amazing privilege that we have to be blessed by God in whatever way it is, to be able to give back, to make a difference. They urgently pleaded, can we please give? And he said that they gave according to their ability and then beyond that. Man, what if we just shift our perspective where we show up entirely on our own? I don't need a text message reminder. I don't need an email I don't need somebody calling and checking. I'm, I'm going to show up entirely on my own with an attitude of expectation because I want to give my life to something great. They, they urgently pleaded, us, pleaded with us entirely on their own. Can we please be part of this? Again, greed will always find an excuse, but generosity will always, always, always find a way. And for the Macedonian churches, they, they, they didn't see giving as a have to give, but a get to give. I'll say this, the privilege is always greater than the price. So when we exercise generosity, it's not really a sacrifice, but it's a privilege. And they went beyond our expectations, having given themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They gave themselves by the will of God also to us. They wouldn't allow their situation to stop them from being a part of God's work. He said, so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So Paul is saying, hey, um, the Macedonian churches brought it full circle. They brought it full circle. God gave to them, and it's a cycle, and they brought it full circle. And so now it's time for you Corinthians to do the same. And so here's... Here's what Paul does. He primes the pump with them. He lets them know about these churches that are worse off, who, who, who rose to the challenge above and beyond their expectations. And then he says this. He, 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 he turns it to the Corinthians. He says, but you, but since you excel in everything, hey, Corinthian church, since you excel in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love that we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. Not a have to, it's a get to. But I want to test your sincerity of the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. 
And I don't know if you see what Paul's doing here, but he's, he's stroking their ego. Hey, Corinthian church, y'all are awesome. And love and faith and good deeds, you do, you do really great things. So now I want to see if you excel in generosity. Do you excel in giving? Are you going to bring it full circle? This really is, um, again, the Corinthian church was excited to give uh, early on, and, and they expressed their desire, and now it's time to actually do it. And, and Paul essentially is asking them, like, do you even lift, bro? Right? This is like when I talk with somebody, and they're like, oh, yeah, man, I could, like, I could bench press 225, 245s on each side, man. I, I could do this, whatever. And then we get in the gym, and I'm like, hey, you said you could do this. Now here's the weight. Let's go. Put, like, you've been talking a big game. Let's put it up. Let's see what happens. Do you even lift, bro? This is what Paul is saying. Hey, y'all had a great desire, but here's what you got to understand. Desire doesn't get it done. You, you, you had the interest. But, but the interest doesn't make it happen. So now will you follow through? Will you bring it full circle or not? You say you love God like you do. Put your money where your mouth is. Show me. This is what Paul is saying. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty he might, um, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Here's what's best for you in this matter. Here's what's best for you in this matter. Generosity is always what's best for us in this matter. Here's why Proverbs eleven twenty four says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Generosity is what's best for us. It expands our world. Here's my judgment for what's best for you. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work. Somebody say, bring it full circle. Yeah. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. Paul says, I don't want you to give beyond your ability like the Macedonian churches. No, we'll leave that for them. Instead, I just want you to give according to your ability. I just want you to give according to your ability. He lowers the bar for the Corinthian church. As we get ready for this end of your offering next, next week, I want to invite you to give according to your ability. But what if you decided to be like one of the Macedonian churches, one of the Macedonian Christians, and said, I'm going to raise that up and go above and beyond that? You know, as we go through this series leading to our end of year offering, my hope is that you don't hear all this and you just think, this church is all about money. My, my hope is that you would say, this church is all about people because it takes money to reach people. And this church has a vision to reach people. And because of that, we talk about money. My hope is that you would say, this is, this is a church that loves people because it takes money to reach people. And here's what you need to understand, that a church with no vision will ask for no money. But because we have a great vision to reach your mom, to reach your dad, to reach your brother, your sister, your coworker, your friend, to reach this city, to share the good news with people, to help people meet Jesus and journey with them. Because we have a great vision, we talk about money. And my hope as you come through this series and as you're part of this church that you wouldn't get it twisted, you would shift your perspective and say, thank God I'm part of a church that loves people because they talk about money. It's not about money. It's about how do we love people and how do we reach people. And it requires resources to do just that. 
And that's what we're gearing up towards next week. I got I to gotta close. I'm, I'm over my time. Um, but here's, here, here's what I want to invite you to think through. It, it's not what you would do if you could. It's what you do with what you have. So as we gear up towards bringing this offering next week, it's not what you would do if you could. Well, well if I had, I could. No. Well, what can you do with what you have? What can you do with what you have? And I want to I illustrate it this way. Imagine that this pad right here represents all of your resources, what you have, what you've been entrusted with. And this circle right here represents your level of generosity, what you bring. Maybe it's $10,000, maybe it's $1,000. I don't know. I don't know the amount. But this pad represents all that you have, all of your resources, and this circle represents what you bring. And then this pad here represents somebody else's resources, all of what they have. And this circle represents what they bring. As you look at the two circles, which one is bigger? This one is bigger. But God looks at this, and he says, no, this one is bigger. Because God doesn't measure the amount. He measures the size of the sacrifice. The amount here might be bigger, but the amount here is a greater sacrifice. There was this moment in Jesus' ministry. They were in the temple. People were coming and bringing their offerings. And uh, there were people who were coming, and they, they had all these resources, and they were bringing these, these big circles, and they, were, and they were dropping in all this money. And Jesus' disciples were looking at that, and they were saying, oh, my goodness, look, look at how great that is. And they were impressed by this. And then Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa hold, on, hold on, let me get your attention. And he, and he points their attention over to this woman off in the corner. She sneaks in. And she has two pennies, and she drops those two pennies in the offering. He said, do you see that? And they, and they said, yeah, who cares? And Jesus said, that woman gave more than anybody else. But their circle is bigger. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Her sacrifice is greater. God measures the sacrifice, not the size of the circle. So next week, as you think about all the resources that you have, all that God has given you, will you give in a sacrificial way that gets noticed by God? Because if our generosity doesn't get noticed by God, then it gets overlooked. And we want to be the kind of people, if I could take you back a couple weeks ago to the sermon I preached about Solomon. Solomon gave 999 more bulls than necessary, and it was a sacrifice that God took notice of. I want God to take notice of your sacrifice. I don't want it to be overlooked. And here's the deal. You aren't always in charge of the size of your pad because God is the one who gives us resources and blesses. And so you're not always in charge of the size of your pad. But can I let you know this morning that the marker is in your hands? 
You can't determine the size of your pad, but the marker is in your hand, and you get to determine the size of the circle that you draw. You get to determine the size of your circle. So no matter what your pad is, no matter what your resources look like, the marker is in your hand. And the question is, will you draw a small little circle that goes unnoticed, or will you draw one that amounts to a sacrifice so that God sees it and he says, there's something there. And the thing you've been circling, the thing you've been praying for, God shows up to you like he shows up to Solomon, and he says, Ask me for whatever it is you want, and I'll give it to you. You get to draw the circle. So will you draw a circle that's a sacrifice or a circle that's comfortable? It's up to you. It's your determination. And, but I want us to draw a circle where we're needing God. We're depending on God. God, I need you to come through. So here's the size of my circle on the pad that you've given me. And then as we draw a circle like that, the question then becomes, God, I'm depending on you for this. If God increases the size of your pad, will you keep the circle the same or will you draw a bigger circle in keeping with a sacrifice? It's up to you. We wanna be those who make circles that are sacrifices where God sees our sacrifice and he says, ask me for whatever it is you want and it's yours. That's what it means to be a circle maker, to live in generosity. So we draw a circle that's a sacrifice and we say, oh no, don't get it twisted. It's not a sacrifice, it's a privilege. This is where we're headed next week. It's our privilege and honor to be able to give back to God.